welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzbeth. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing a daily a day. And we'll be discussing the book What Girls Do in the Dark by Rosie Garland. We'll also be bringing you a poetry recording from one of our favourite poets. This month it's from Liv Winter. But first, what have you been up to this month? Laurie? Uh, guys, I had a vaccine today. You had the vaccine! That's amazing! So I cool know. though. Don't make a thing of it on the podcast or anything. Make a thing of it. It is a big, good, positive thing. <laughs> well, maybe you can keep it in there. I just don't want to be like, I've got it, suckers! <laughs> <laughs> No, I think celebration. I think I think every time somebody you know and care about gets it, that is cause for celebration, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. And, and really, you should get it. No, get vaccinated when you can and when you can do it safely. Please, 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 if you can, get it. It was very easy uh, once you were in the place to get it done. It felt very safe, very organized. It didn't hurt. There's no reason not to do it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> vaccine um okay right let's talk about poetry <laughs> so uh, other other than you know other than clawing your way out of the hellscape uh, and leaving <laughs> the rest of us to wave in your wake what else have you been up to this month yeah i pulled that ladder right up i did i was like i'm on the balloon the balloon is sailing off into the horizon the sun is setting but i've left you all on the frozen ice cap oh. no that's not what happened obviously this month i went to a poetry event called Insight <gasps> that I hadn't been to before that is run by a host called Hannah Hartsper. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm sure Hannah will talk about that in her bit. <laughs> but uh, the, it was great. It was really nice to see Joelle Taylor headlining. I, hadn't seen, I haven't seen Joelle for what feels like ages. So that was really lovely, doing a really nice set from her new bookstroke show, I think. Wasn't I it? think it's already been a show. It's a book that will With be coming a, out a this brilliant year. Brilliant name, I think it was, Hannah. Canto. Cunt <laughs> with an O on the end. Um, and it's can, all cantos, but about her experience and sort of autobiographical. And obviously, Joel Taylor is queer and it is called Canto. Yay! It was good. It was really good. Um, been listening to some spoken word records. I finally got my copy of uh, Gecko's new album, Climbing Frame, which is a really cool one. And listened to Selena Godden's Livewire album, which is kind of a lot of live recordings of her over the last few years, some with music, some without. That's really awesome. Um, I also, I tell a lie, I did go to one other poetry gig online right at the beginning of the month um, for the Stuart Hall Foundation with um, Jay Bernard, Roger Robinson, and Lyndon Quasi Johnson that I think I mentioned in the last episode. Mm. That was really good. It was really interesting. You did. Um, that sounded awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was really interesting. Roger's set was, they each had a, a well, actually, they didn't all have a, the same amount of time. Roger had a longer set. Lyndon... Linton, bless him, looked like he just wanted to do his poem and go and, <laughs> and leave <laughs> and just be like, I'm doing one poem and that's it. And that's that's all you're getting from me. Um, but uh, it was kind of discussion as well. Roger's set was kind of like an, almost like an essay with him just talking about stuff that he was 
thinking about in lockdown with poems interspersed into it, which was quite interesting as a set. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really cool. And those are really the poetry things I've been doing this month, um, other than reading the book. Um, We touched on a couple of uh, podcasts ago when we had Leanne Moden on. She mentioned a children's book by Patrick Ness. um, And I didn't read the one Leanne mentioned, but I did get around to finally reading A Monster Calls, um, which is also by Patrick Ness, which is a kid's young adult book. Boy, oh boy, it's heartbreaking, but brilliant. And one of the best books I've read in absolutely ages. It's brilliant. Like, hands down, I'm not going to exaggerate this. It's one of the best books I think I've ever read. I loved it. I am making a note of it now. Ah. I've re- and it's and it's quite short because it's only a children's book. Um, and get the illustrated version, Hannah. I think you'll like it. It's got lots of very gothy drawings in it. Excellent. Ooh, cool. Hannah, what have you been up to? Um, this month, I have not attended as many poetry things as I would like. I've attended a few like interesting talks, but not. Not as much spoken word stuff, apart from a certain regular um, night, which which uh, is 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 hosted by a a a dashing lady with a similar name. Um, so Insight is this monthly night which I run for Forum Plus uh, LGBTQ plus uh, charity in London, in Islington and Camden, and it's been growing in ways I didn't expect sort of over lockdown, but I think, I think the last gig we had was the best we've had yet with Joel Taylor as headliner, as Laurie said. And, um, just, just the open mic is also absolutely stellar at this point. Um, I thought Jay Whittaker was great. And also on the open mic. Yeah. We had people like Liv Winter who's coming up later. And also, uh, we had some, newcomers i hadn't seen before uh lee cadigan also i want to give a special shout out to they were absolutely amazing i mean it was it was always good but also because there's no geographical boundaries now so we've had people from (laughs) uh i've lost track of like how many different countries we've had uh token attendees in from and it's just just every every person on the mic was just incredible including um live winter who i have tracked down to do our poem of the month coming up um so stay tuned for that i also the very next day when i'm still on a bit of a buzz from like that was a really good gig i'm really feeling good about this i'm writing scribbling down ideas for things in the inspired wired way that you do after a good gig and I then had a little Facebook on this day reminder that a year ago to the day um, when I'd been very early on in hosting Insight and the venue back back in the days of live stuff, February 2020, we were still doing stuff in person. The venue had messed us around something chronic like at the last minute. And so we'd had like a really weird, skewed, difficult night. And then a punter I'd never seen before or since came in and was really shitty to me. And it was really weird looking back at the kind of progression from like, that's where I started. <laughs> and it's not always been easy hosting a night, mm. um, but it's it's it was really nice at that point that I was still on a bit of a high to be reminded of when it had been tough. Um, and I don't know, I just, it's, it's, I'm very proud of it, but also I'm, the, the, the perseverance that it takes to build a night. And I think, yeah, if you see someone's hosting a night and doing well, tell them well done because like that that creating the environment is is a very important part of it um 
And I'm not just saying that to toot my own horn. Like now that I feel like I'm doing it well, I feel like I appreciate how well when I've seen it done well before, like quite how much went in behind the scenes. And what else have I done? I had a really, really lovely surprise that a um, a friend of mine who is, I mostly know as a singer-songwriter, has uh, published a small poetry chapbook. Uh, so it's uh, CJ Thorpe Tracy, who has published a book called uh, To the Virus We Are Landscape, and sent me a copy as a, like, with, with a lovely dedication about being an inspiration as a writer, which is really, really lovely and weird because I never thought, I don't know, we, we live in slightly different worlds in terms of, yeah, singer-songwriter versus poet. It was really, <laughs> really lovely to have this kind of, like, little, shoot, the thing I'm doing is 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 inspiring people in other places. That's lovely. And I wrote a couple of things. I feel like I'm sort of starting to wake up creatively. Yay, I don't know if that's, that's very daylight cool. or like <laughs> knowing that feeling like the end is in sight with pandemic or what. But yeah, that's been really good. Yeah. And I'm reading something for a friend who's written a book recently. The Brokers um, of Hope is blooming. Yes. All <laughs> of that. So yes. More more behind the scenes than in person. But yeah. Rebecca, what have you been up to? Uh, so as for me, I've been um what have I been up to? Um been to Insight as well. Um, I have to say I enjoy I enjoy poetry and queer spaces because women get to describe themselves as dashing in that way that I, I don't think I've ever heard anywhere else and I like it. I want to be dashing more often. You know, that shouldn't just be the preserve of men. You always um, are. So, <laughs> thank you. That's the correct response oh, to that. I wasn't fishing, but since I've caught it, thank you very much. Um, so yeah, uh, so get Joelle Taylor, always brilliant, always mm-hmm. dashing as well, like I have to say, Joelle Taylor. Um, and um, yeah, so she was wonderful. Um, I went to Word Central in Manchester mm. uh, virtually, and that was nice to kind of drop in uh, to another night uh, or to like another part of the country that I don't, I've never been to for poetry purposes. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's where I kind of missed it being in person. Do you know what I mean? That kind of it, it was much harder to kind of jump in the chat and start chatting to people in the way that you would do if you were just in the bar kind of thing. Yeah, yeah um, But it was good. It was it was a, a nice, um, uh, nice evening. And so yeah, apart from that, I've been feeling very February, you know? Mm. Just it's February. Guys, the sun came out the other day. It did, it did. Jesus Christ. Um, I, just, I just I feel like I've accidentally given up optimism for Lent, you know? And, um... Didn't you hear Boris? Oh, no. The crocus of hope is blooming. Uh... <laughs> the crocus of hope. A famous phrase. Oh, God. The crocus, the crocus of hope. He said it as an offhand thing, and I've just been saying it for days afterwards. I just find it a very funny <laughs> phrase. And that's that's why he's known as such a great artist. Well, that's it. unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think I'm picking it up for positive like reasons. <laughs> anyway, shall we do an interview? Yeah. Let's do an interview. This month's interview is with Adelia Day. Adelia is a spoken word artist, video designer and theatre maker based in Norwich. Her shows combine physical comedy, spoken word and interactive video animation projection. She has been an actor for more than 12 years, performing a wealth of Shakespeare, physical theatre and children's theatre. In late 2014, she began exploring her gender identity through writing and performing comedy songs at cabaret events such as Bar Whatever in Vauxhall and the Ukulele Cabaret in King's Cross. 
From there, she began writing and producing her own shows, starting with In the Surface of a Bubble, which uses masks, martial arts, puppetry and live music to tell the story of a girl struggling to come to terms with a transgender parent, set in a fantasy world where anything you imagine comes true. Her current shows include Super Hamlet 64, about video games and Shakespeare, and Too Pretty to Punch, about transphobia in the media. So Adelia, thank you very much for joining us. Would you care to kick us off with a poem? Uh, Yes, I would. Um, So uh, this is a poem about a... um, It's about a kid's author, a children's uh, book author. I'm quite into like fantasy children's books. And this is quite a niche writer, but... Um, I don't know, you might have heard of her. She wrote this like series of fantasy books and then she recently came out as a transphobe. And um, I wonder who it is. Yeah, <laughs> it was big on Twitter, but you might not know who she is because it's quite, I mean, it's like, it's like children's fantasy literature. It's quite a niche market. Um, but I wrote this poem about it and I want to share it. Um, yeah. <laughs> JK's growling, JK's moaning. The people are uneasy. Populism's growing. Keep your facts and give me friction, hate mail, death threats, no more wisdom. Help us all feel more divided, won't you? Split us in two, us and them, them and everybody feeling quite confused. Feminists versus feminists versus the all lives matter of the wizarding world. Biological, bio, bio, biological, bio, bio. Can't say anything these days, can you? Trans women are... Trans men are... Trans people are people just like you. Nobody said they weren't. Nobody said biological. Can't say anything. Unclear subtext. Literal lapdogs. Everyone an expert. What are your thoughts on fake news? Popularised by the gullible with celebrity endorsement we can all get behind. Except you. (laughs) Some of my best friends are trans. Gotta hand it to you, Joanne. That's some next level Slytherin style manipulation you got going on there. Write a series of books perfect for inspiring hope in a generation of trans and non-binary kids. Then, when they least suspect it, pull the rug from under them, punch down, and keep on punching. Turn the rest of your followers against them, et voila. Your books are like a horcrux to so many adults these days. Now you're teaching them to hate parts of themselves in such new and inventive ways. So clever. Was this the plan all along? If it was, sorting hats off to you, you are a malevolent genius. Rita Skeeter would be proud. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Obviously, there were there were a lot of references in there that were quite niche, but I'm sure yeah. I'm sure some of us. Yeah, totally. I don't. I, this is the thing. I quite I do a lot of like nostalgic pop culture stuff with like niche references, and I try and make it accessible so that people who you know know the content <laughs> are like, yeah. But also people who don't, who just don't know anything about wizarding kids and stuff, would be like, oh, I still get some stuff as well. Yeah, it's a sh- you know those books they didn't do that well really. So no, it's I was nearly going to say it's a shame, but. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I liked the books, but yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's quite thankful because otherwise, you know, you could just imagine she'd have a massive following by now that she'd be sharing this nonsense with. She but, would, yeah. Yeah, conveniently. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's got like a thousand followers, which is, you know, I've got a thousand followers on Twitter. So, you know, it's... yeah, it's pretty much the same, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Adelia, how did you first get into spoken word? We like to ask this question of our listeners, uh, sorry, of our guests quite a bit because, you know, I think everyone has a slightly different story. 
Yeah, well, I, um, I've always written poetry and enjoyed it. And then, <laughs> that's weird, and enjoyed it. So write it. <laughs> like, oh, this is horrible. But I'm doing it because I have to. And there's this thing inside me. And, oh, God. I didn't um, know we were allowed to enjoy it. I thought we had to be tortured artists. Yeah. The, no, so this is something I discovered when I was younger. I didn't learn to be tortured until later. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I've always written it and I've loved it. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't know about the spoken word scene when I was younger. So I just wrote poems. And when I was at drama school, I read The Ode Less Travelled by Stephen hmm. Fry mm. and it totally inspired me I didn't know about forms and structures and I was like oh this is just brilliant and I did loads of Shakespeare at drama school so it was it tapped into that sort of space mm. um but I didn't know about spoken word and stuff so like as a thing so I just wrote poetry and I knew that books didn't sell that well that was a thing I kind of knew in my head so I was like well, I didn't know <laughs> at all about the book market so I was just like writing these poems I wrote so that year I wrote a poem every day for a year um, and wow. most of it's awful, but some of them are still <laughs> poems that I like. Um, nice. And then throughout my twenties, every now and again, I just repeat this. Like I did a, a tour of Italy playing Hamlet for like four months, and then I was so inspired by the beauty of the architecture and the buildings and things. I thought, you know, I'm going to do my poem a day thing again. Mm-hmm. So every now and again, I did that. And then, um, like I was in my thirties, uh, maybe I was thirty or so. And I was like, I'm 36 now. So I was like 30 or so. And I um, I went to Paris because uh, I trained there for a bit. And um, I went on holiday and I just wrote some poems I absolutely loved. Uh, Jedi on the Metro being one of them, which is oh, like... I love oh, them. yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, About the, door, the, the doors on the Metro opening like a like something out of Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's the doors open like, uh, they're really aggressive. They're like, Poof! they open really fiercely. And I just like pretending I'm a Jedi and getting the timing right. So it, fe- it feels like you're really powerful. And I wrote a poem about it and I loved it. And I was like, oh, I wish there was somewhere you could go to like perform this. Uh-huh. And then I looked online and I was living in Swindon and Swindon didn't have like a spoken word scene, but it had a page poetry scene. It had just a poetry scene, I guess. But it was quite big and it had a poetry festival once a year. And, you know, in the area, it's quite a big thing. And I was like, oh, well, there's not going to be anything in Swindon. People were like, oh, there's there's loads of stuff in Swindon. I went, I went, I did that poem, other poem. People loved it. I was like, oh, it was just like a whole new thing I never knew existed. Um, mm. Yeah. And then I just built from there, going to different places and London and Bristol. And Yeah. Ah, brilliant. And so, yeah, so you mentioned there that you'd been at drama school first and kind of come to this sort of from a theatre background. What impact does that have on your spoken word work, do you think? Uh, well, so it's definitely, um, I have a lot of, I, I perform in a very performative way. That sounds weird, it's performative <laughs> sometimes sounds false, but I've got a very exuberant, wild way of performing. Um, I suppose when I'm on stage as an actor, I do a lot of physical theatre. A lot of th- I've I've done a lot of training where you're dominating the stage. You are mm. in control of the whole space, and you will move and and command the space and interact with the audience and have like a real rapport with them. And so, when I do spoken word, I have the same thing, and that just comes naturally to me. And that's how I love to perform. Mm. And I know in the spoken word thing, that's not as much a thing. Um, I mean, it is. You know, there's all sorts of different ways of performing and stuff. But um, people are like, "Wow, you're really performative." And I was like, "Oh, it's just how I do stuff." Um, so yeah also I've got a like um, I like to do things 
I guess in quite a dramatic way with characters and different like perspectives and um I don't know yeah I just I just like to play a lot I don't know mm. if that does that answer your question yeah I think that makes sense um because one thing I've noticed about your poems is that a lot of them you take on different voices which I think is quite unusual in the spoken word scene a lot of a lot of spoken word is very personal it's it's people talking about mm. their own experiences generally whereas often you will have kind of you know sort of surreal hypothetical stories i'm thinking about this one where like there's a board meeting about is it twigs versus jam or something oh yeah twigs and figs. i've forgotten about that poem yeah <laughs> it, it? twigs twigs and twigs that's it yeah and it's just and it's just two different voices arguing about twigs and figs in this kind of really surreal way um what is it about that those different voices bringing that in that you enjoy uh so i think that's just how i process things um maybe because of my drama background but mm. i just always imagine uh, I'm quite empathetic as well em- empathic empathetic one of those words and I love to just you know there's a difficult situation and love to think what if I was chatting to this person mm. or what if um or how did how do people come to these weird ideas take flat earthers for example you just imagine them in a room and they're all like this is the case and then they see some evidence that's contrary to them and what's going through their mind how do they do that or are they just do they just not hear because sometimes I've discovered people don't listen which is like obvious to most people, but I tend to listen to people. And so, you know, we're in a conversation and then so people just, I, I find it so weird if you're in a group of people and someone will say something and you're like, oh, that's a good point. And then, you know, a, a few minutes later, someone else says the same thing and people are like, ah, oh, yes, good idea, Dave. And you're like, what well, that person just said that. <laughs> and, you know, all these kind of weird things. So, oh uh, yeah, I often when I, I, I sort of, process things or think through life I often just do it by putting myself in people's shoes which I guess is quite an actory thing as well mm. um and so it just comes naturally when I try and because also a lot of my poems are about trying to communicate things often communicate things that are either tricky to understand or that for some reason people are finding hard to understand that's the same thing I guess but me being patronizing in one of them um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like why can't you get this mm. um so it's like what well, Okay, here, what's also like, what's the easiest way of explaining it? Person A says this, person B says this, and um, yeah, that's a way. Uh, also, the figs and twigs thing, oh, it was just like, that is just uh, to vent again. I mean, I've written the poem and performed it a lot, but it was being in a rehearsal room and people are like, oh, sometimes, I mean, as an, in art, people are very picky about things. And sometimes mm. people are just like, should, we, should this character be wearing red shoes or green shoes? And it's like, it doesn't really matter to the play at all. But, you know, sometimes in a rehearsal room, people get so absorbed by it. Oh, red <laughs> shoes are green shoes. Oh, but if they've got red shoes, then that's a bit like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. And we don't really want that connection. Okay, well, green shoes is. And, oh, but if it's green shoes, maybe it blends in too much with the carpet, which is green. Oh, darn it. What about yellow shoes? Yeah, well, we want kind of red or green. And, you know, it's <laughs> like, and then it gets to the tech rehearsal three weeks later. And it was like, oh, they didn't have any red or green shoes. So we've got black shoes. And then we're so stressed. It doesn't matter. We just go with black shoes. And it's like, well, we spent four hours. <laughs> on that discussion (laughs) and it's like i'm sure this thing happens in all businesses i'm sure and it's just Mm. oh yeah i love taking stuff like that and then just explaining it in a fun way with Mm. absurdism or something or do you sort of approach it then as a communication challenge as a how do i explain this thing if i make it funny it'll work yeah definitely um it's definitely about communication it's like 
for me, it's very much what's the easiest way I can communicate? What's the simplest way I can communicate this? And like poetry is gorgeous for that because sometimes, um, sometimes you can't communicate something in an easy way. Sometimes, uh, and like my most popular stuff is silly and comic and loads of characters and stuff. And that's the stuff I perform the most. But I also do, you know, delightful little beautiful poems about flowers and things um, like everyone does. But sometimes, you know, you can't capture the majesty of that flower in something that's very explanatory and so you need a metaphor and so like with all poetry it's the, for me it's that same thing of what how can I communicate this uh one of the things I was going to say with the acting thing and how that informs my work is uh so I trained at Lecoq in Paris which is like a physical mm. theatre and clowning school and um something that's really important in my theatre making is play which is like having a childlike sense of play to everything that you do mm. and just bringing that fun into it even if it's a very serious subject having a kind of playful energy to it is really good because it's, it's good that it's not all doom and gloom and there's some lightness in there because you can't just it's, it's too painful it's not fun for an audience to absorb mm. um so yeah so that kind of play just seeps into everything i'm quite a playful person so often my poems are like um i'll tend to steer like you know some people are like with lgbt issues especially are like um screw you you people you should just shut up your stuff is nonsense i'm much more likely to be like hey it's okay i totally get your point of view and then lightly mock them <laughs> in, in the, <laughs> the same feeling of you know you're an idiot but it's just like i guess different tactics yeah it's actually picking up on that point of different tactics that's a good segue into the question i wanted to ask you which is about how your shows your longer shows um, like Super Hamlet, but also um, Too Pretty to Punch, how you really mix probably more than any other poet that I can think of um, things like projection and music and costumes and space. It, I always go into your shows and come out thinking like, wow, she's thought about just every aspect of this um, performance. It's not just I'm going to stand up in front of a mic. I mean, when I saw Too Pretty to Punch up in Edinburgh, uh, God, when, when was that now? Two years ago, I guess, 2019? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Pandemic. But I remember coming out of, of that and there was a bit in it with projections. I think there was a bit with a swing um, or something yes, like that, yeah. an image using a swing. And I remember walking out yeah. of that and thinking, that's one of the most poetic things I've seen. And I was telling um, Hannah and Rebecca about it. And then I was like, oh, wait, it wasn't a poem. <laughs> it was it was part of a poetic <laughs> performance. But the thing that I found most poetic about it was this sort of visual aspect to it. Um, none of that is a question. So I guess my question is, can you tell us a bit about the process of putting together <laughs> shows like that and how that desire to communicate simply... Um, comes through in these things because i look at them and think wow that's complicated she's thought about all these different things but you're probably thinking about it from that point of view of how can i communicate most effectively i guess yeah totally well first of all thank you so much that's such a delightful thing to hear that section it's a, a section about growing up trans and like closeted and struggling with gender and coming to terms with that and also facing you know, aggression and bullying, all that kind of stuff. And it's a, there's just music and me performing physical things with these um, projections behind me. And the projection at that point is a, a child on a swing that changes gender on the, the swing. So it starts off as a boy and then it swings through and is a girl at the suspended point and then back and forwards. And it's like, ah, oh, who am I? Um, 
Yes, that's really, I haven't really thought about that as if it's a poem, but it is a poem, I guess, in the same way. Um, yeah, so believe it or not, too pretty. So I did Super Hamlet 64. I come from a theatre background. I hadn't actually seen a spoken word show before. So I was, and I was just like, okay, I'm doing spoken word, but Super Hamlet 64 is just a theatre piece. And we've got, you know, all these projections and stuff, and I'm just a character in it. And then sometimes I'm not, and sometimes I'm talking to the audience. And actually spoken word shows and one person actor shows in inverted commas is, there's a lot of overlap. And mm. sometimes you see like a physical theatre show or something, you're like, oh, this is actually basically just a spoken word show, but they call them monologues, whereas we call them poems. And, you know, there's a lot of overlap. Anyway, so I was thinking that. And then I was touring it very full on. It's very energetic, really tiring. I'm doing all this stuff. And then I'm firing portals out of my ukulele and it's really fit. It's very tiring, and but fun. So fun, but re so complicated, all this stuff. And then I saw while I was performing it, spoken word artists. I was like, oh, we're going to see the spoken word shows. No offense to spoken word artists. But I was like, oh, they just stood there with a microphone. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, I could be doing that. Why am I doing all this complicated <laughs> stuff? What? Oh my God. So then when I made Too Pretty to Punch, I was like, okay, this is going to be my simple show. <laughs> where I just stand in front of an audience and talk at them. And then I was like, okay. You know, so I approach every show and go, well, you know, it could have projections in, but if projections aren't right for it, then I won't put them in. I'm just going to stick them in everything. Um, but because I'm very playful, I like to just come up with stuff and play. And if, if I've got an idea, I'll just, I'll go with it. So I did an R&D, like a research and development and like scratch performance, like 20 minutes of performance at Camden People's Theatre. And I thought, well, I'll just try some stuff out. And I had like projections. I was playing the banjo in it and I projected onto the banjo while I was singing. And I did all these fun things and people loved it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I guess I'll have a bit of projection in. Uh, and then it just grows. You make it and you get carried away and it grows and grows. And you were just, and then you're like, oh, I can have loads of projection. I'll have this thing and this thing <laughs> and this thing. I mean, but still, like, Too Pretty to Punch is like 50% scenes with amazing projection and 50% me just with a warm wash light just chatting to people in the audience. Um, so I did nail that a little bit. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just comes down to play. It's playfulness. It's fun. It's, I mean, it's a lot of work. But because I'm an animator, it's cheaper. Like, so Super Hamlet 64, I hired an animator and he charged like £250 a day. And that was like his cut rate working with artists fee as opposed to corporate where it's £500 a day. Um, and so, yeah, if you're hiring someone, to, and this stuff can take months. So if you're hiring someone to do it, it will cost a fortune. You'll never be able to get that on an arts funding grant. I mean, you might be able to, but it's, it's very difficult. And so when I'm doing it, it's so much cheaper. I'm just, I can do all this stuff. Um, so, yeah. And when you have so many moving parts in your shows and in your work, uh, what's, what's your process for working with them? At what stage do you start thinking about what it'll look like? Or is that in there from the beginning? Uh, so first thing I do is I, um, I guess it varies from show to show, but with Two Pieces of Punch, for example, it started off with me just coming up with, first of all, all the ideas and like for all of the pieces. And I was like, okay, so here's 200 ideas and uh, what do I want to flesh out? And there must be some massive document. I just start writing it, coming up with things. I do a lot of my best writing, just walking and talking into a, a, a dictaphone. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I do that. I come up with things, just writing. And then 
Um, things just kind of come together. And as I'm thinking about things, I'm kind of thinking about the projections. Um, and so I, I kind of got that kind of like vaguely in my mind, but it's mostly writing. It's mostly just coming up with the words. Yeah. And then, and sometimes it's like, oh, I've got a placeholder, like for ages, there's the best poem or my favorite poem in it, which is Too Pretty to Punch, which is the name of the show. And <laughs> for ages, it was just like, I kind of know everything about this poem, but I haven't written it yet. So mm. that was a placeholder. And then one walk home, I wrote it in, I recorded it and then wrote it all. And it was like, oh, it just all came together. I was like, yes. <laughs> um, but so, yeah. So it's like writing loads of stuff. And then, um, and then I spend some time either in a theater, like playing with this and figuring out how it will work in performing in a space. And I tend to video myself with like improvisations and stuff. And then I'll like watch back the video and go, well, what looks good and what feels good? And sometimes I'll like, or, or I'll come up with ideas. Um, so, so I guess that's it. So uh, writing everything and then trying stuff out in a space. It could just be my room, but wherever. And then I start to think about the, uh, what it'll look like. Um, so I record it on a, a camera and then I watch the recording back and I think mm-hmm. where will, will projections look good? Then I um, make the projections over the recording. Okay. So I've got the recording there, and like I'll draw the projections over the top, very simply. Ah, and then so it makes like storyboarding kind of thing. Yeah. So okay. well, this is the, a convenient thing because I make the animations myself. Like if you're mm. hiring someone, it can be tricky to put this stuff into your workflow. But mm. I'll um, so I'll film myself. I'll make the projections in a very rough way, and then perform it with the projections in this very rough way. And just see if it works and film mm. that because often it doesn't and you're like oh i'm so glad i <laughs> tried it rather than spending three weeks making something really polished and then performing it mm. and being like oh that was a waste of three weeks <laughs> yeah which still happens but with this uh storyboardy type process that mitigates the risk of that um interesting yeah. Sense. Sort of sense. Um, so, like, obviously, you've talked a fair bit about Too Pretty to Punch, um, which I, I think it's fair to say is probably your most personal show. And you kind of, you know, you discuss coming to terms with your trans identity, as well as portrayals of trans people in the media and the kind of restrictions and expectations that trans people place on each other as well. I was thinking about the bit with the boxes and that kind of part of the very clever bit with boxes. It's a really good conversation. Um, and yet, so what has the experience of developing that show and performing it over the last couple of years been like? You know, have your feelings about it shifted? And, and what sort of response do you get from audiences? To it? Well, yes, it's been a huge journey. Uh, when I started, uh, I mean, I've been sort of like coming out more and more over the past four years. Hmm. Uh, and so I started performing it like two or three years ago. And um I was living in Swindon at the time. I now live in Norwich, which is much more accepting of trans people, but Swindon's, Swindon's okay, but it just doesn't feel very welcoming. Um, so I was uh, performing there. I was expecting people to be really like, what the hell is this? Who the hell are you? These ideas are nonsense. We hate you. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. Especially because like in the media, in the newspaper. So I've mm. since learned the newspapers are very uh, right-wing owned and uh, ten, have, there are a lot of transphobic people in newspapers so mm-hmm. all of the newspapers tend to favour the transphobic points of view. And on social media, they have a very loud presence, a very loud voice. So if you're in the closet as a trans person, mm-hmm. you would... I mean, things have been changing in, like, 
the counter culture of trans people online is growing and that's fantastic but if you're a trans person online and you're not out Mm. you're generally going to think that people are horrible people because that's what the internet's like Mm. so i was expecting this and i was like ready to for some fierceness and probably not ready enough for the fierceness but i was like just i'll do this and i'll try and i'll go to all these towns and cities and perform this and people were so supportive and so positive and of course, this is the, the theatre-going crowd, crowd who've mm. chosen to come and see this. But also, like, just walking around in the street, in the places that I go to, um, like, people are gen- people don't care. A lot of people don't care. A lot of people are supportive. Some mm. people care, but in a negative way. But, like, it, the reality of uh, the reality of what it's like being trans in the real world compared to online or on... As if you look at newspapers and stuff, it's completely different. It's like mm. such a completely different... There's so, so much dissonance between those two things. Anyway, so I was expecting that and it was actually really positive. And the more I performed it, the more positive I've become about myself and the more mm. positive like, I've become about the country. And I've, been, I've met all sorts of wonderful people along the way. You know, people who... It's still nice when people come and they go, oh, this changed my opinion. Or I didn't know much about trans people, but now I can relate. It's actually like... Um, someone, this black woman was like, oh, I can relate in a, it's sort of similar to racism, how people just have these entrenched views and mm-hmm. then actually a lot of it's nonsense. Hmm. And um, I've met tra- closeted trans people who've gone, oh, this has given me loads of confidence and newly out trans people who are like, oh, wow, mm. this just feels wonderful. And like gender critical people who've gone, actually, this is really making me question some of my gender critical views. Hmm. So much gorgeousness. Yeah, and, and I've developed it as well. Like when it, it started, it was an hour long, Initially, so I came up with two hours worth of material, cut it down to an hour. Hmm. And then as I toured it and toured it, I was like, oh, I really want to add something about um, the mass hysteria people have about the concept of trans kids, for example. Or, mm-hmm. you know, all these extra little bits. Um, or a silly poem about um, the way man is in so many words hmm. in the English language. Humanity. This is just a silly poem. Like, stuff like that. I just come up with all these extra things and stick them in. Um and then, yeah, but so then COVID happened and I had this big, so I performed at Edinburgh in 2019, mm-hmm. which you came and see, saw, thank you very much. <laughs> it was such a good experience. And then I got loads of theatre gigs off the back of that. So 2020, I was going to do a big theatre tour. Uh-huh. Uh, and this was probably going to be the end of it. You know, it's been a, two years of doing it. And then COVID happens halfway through the tour. So those dates are just like... Yeah, in the White. ether. Yeah, uh, and I, I put the shows online, and w- I had video footage from Edinburgh, so I, I put the shows online, so everyone can watch them online. Go and watch them. Um, but I was like, so I don't know. So it's it's kind of paused, and we're in this weird state now where COVID's happened, and the theatre world is on the one hand doing all sorts of digital projects and trying to cope with the change where everything's changed, and people are doing all sorts of new things, and people are changing. People have changed, like mental health, everything. This has been a weird year. Hmm. And on the other hand, there's this like block of shows which was supposed to happen in 2020, which keep getting shifted mm. yeah. to the autumn or the spring or the summer. And like, so I've got a bunch of shows for Too Pretty to Punch scheduled for the autumn now. And you know, they might go on, they might happen later, they might happen then. But it's kind of weird because so much has happened this year. Mm. It'll feel like a snapshot of, performing it will be a snapshot of 2020. You know? Yeah. And also, especially online with trans stuff, so much has happened. Mm. Like, I kind of feel like maybe I need to cut things. Maybe you need to add things. Um, but also, maybe I just need to leave it as it is and go, well, this is 
this is what it is and make something else. And I don't know, mm. that's where I feel it's a nebulous, weird place. It is. I'm having the same thing with, um, yeah, my tour got cancelled last year. And it's just like, oh. well, do you do you do do you do the stuff or do you do you not? Are you doing new stuff? Or like, because suddenly the the stuff that you have worked on is like years old. <laughs> Um, and there was so I was making another show, Spectacular Space Bots, mm. which is a kids' show all about an autistic robot who goes on space adventures. Mm. Um, and I spent a while making it. Um, and I was supposed to write it last summer, and I was mm. booking a tour for it. I was supposed to apply for funding by April. Do all the it was all like everything was in motion. I had a producer involved, all sorts of stuff. So I started writing it over the summer, and I had like a routine of every week. I'd do a bit more writing on it, and bit by bit, it just petered out because I was like. I am really not right now in the space where I want to get into a group of 400 kids mm. and do an interactive theatre piece yeah. where I chat to them and hand them video game controllers and yeah. get really amongst them. And I'm like, when's that? I'm not, that's not happening this year. Even if lockdown changes, I'm not going to want to get into a, yeah. a crowd of kids yeah. and play to the teachers in the world, you know? Mm. So like that's shelved and then it might happen again at some point, but it's just, yeah. But also, you know, the conversation around autism's changed recent, recently again with the, the what's it, the SEER project, oh, like, God. as well, yeah. like, just... Has it changed? Or have we just kind of... Well, okay, I think pe- people are thinking about it. It's in the media, um, maybe put it that way. Um, so SEER, the pop stars, made a film, um, music, which depicts autism with a non-autistic lead lead actress it's a classic example of you know someone who um starts making something the autistic community or any insert community here says Mm. hey this sounds like a bad idea and they go screw you community i know what i'm doing and Mm. then they release it anyway and then it's awful but you know if it had been like this is the thing people a lot of people are like oh I think it should be fine for a non-autistic person to, or a tra- non-trans person to play this role or whatever, whatever. Mm. But like, if they do it well, mm. on those rare occasions, trans community, autistic community, the whatever community, people tend to go, wow, that was fantastic. I love it. I know mm. I shouldn't because X, X, X and X, but this is brilliant. Mm. But just, you know, nine time, 99 times out of 100, they're mm. awful. Mm. And there's very I told you so vibes, you know. Mm. <laughs> for sure. So you're sort of saying that 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 show's kind of been put on the back burner a little bit. Um, so since lockdown, your fo- you were saying your focus has sort of shifted to motion design and digital projects, uh, sort of combining animation and poetry. Uh, you produced this amazing uh, animated slam, which Laurie's involved with. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. So uh, yeah, so when the- everything closed down, I was like, oh god, what am I going to do? And then all the theatres were like, oh, do we know any performers or anyone who has digital skills? And I was like, I have digital skills. <laughs> and they were like, here, have money and projects. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so it's been a very surreal experience because I'm usually a very struggling artist. And now I'm less of a struggling artist, but um, it's weird. It's good. I'm, I, I'm doing lots of animation projects and I trained in motion design and a course over the summer, which is like basically animation for businesses who pay you well. So um so that's the thing sort of balancing that with like artistic projects uh and then I was like feeling there were loads of zooms happening last year of poetry which was such a huge amazing thing poetry zooms all over the world and people joining and it was great but also I really missed that feeling of liveness and I was like I just want to make something that feels like you're in a space um 
And I feel like we should say at this point as well, Adelia does sit in the back of gigs and do little kind of like almost gif length animations of people performing. I've got some lovely ones that she's done of me, um, I think at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, but yes, yeah, so so kind of you, you do combine that sort of uh, animation and live performance already as well. Oh yeah, I totally it's forgotten about that. <laughs> what a weird I've not been to a gig in AIDS, I forgot I even did that. Oh, God, um, yeah. yeah. I, well, because, yeah, so I... Um, I find it hard to focus and I um, just, I find drawing really helps me focus on stuff. Like often when poetry is going on, I'm just like, my mind is just all over the place thinking about all these different things. And then sometimes when I'm drawing, I can just really focus in on what people are saying. And um, so, yeah, so I've started drawing poets like a couple of years ago and I do all these doodles of poets and then like an iPad and I started animating poets. And then, yeah, I was like, oh, it'd be good to do an animated poem. Um, and I kept meaning to, but not getting around to it. And then this opportunity came up with Home in Manchester, this big theatre, and Harrogate was involved as well, Harrogate Theatre, and they were like, we want to give you £1,000 to do whatever you want. Uh, and I was like, great, I want to do this animated poetry slam. And they were a bit like, uh, I don't even know what that is, but okay. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And um, and th- that's not really a realistic amount of money for what I did, but I was just like, well, I'm going to make it work. Um, so I got... poets to come on board six poets and paid them a small amount and then um paid myself to animate and just made this like 25 minute poetry slam where I'm the host and the whole thing's animated and has a very rough hand-drawn feel and animated these six poems and got judges on board to rate the poems and then had them holding up scorecards with like words on rather than numbers uh, like amazing and brilliant and energetic <laughs> yeah um which and, and then made the slam and like the scoring initially i was like this will be great because i don't like the numbering system a lot of the time but when i made <laughs> it i was like oh actually maybe numbers would have been simpler because there's i thought numbers can be so cutting mm-hmm. and then i realized words can be even more cutting <laughs> yeah True. interesting yeah and i wanted it to be i was like Um, oh yeah okay so i wanted it to be just like um i wanted it to be just people are just saying great things i was like okay judges don't take this part too seriously just give positive things Uh like amazing breathtaking this is fantastic Uh that was the vibe but then you know they're all poets so they were like "Hmm, is this breathtaking or is this more (laughs) moving and then you get moving and then like one poem gets moving um, intriguing, thoughtful, and the other one gets breathtaking, amazing, phenomenal. And you're like, oh god, this feels like such a criticism of this person's work. And it, oh, I didn't want that. And oh, I don't know, it was such a minefield. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even when it isn't but, really, it's just you know, it's the connotations yeah, to, of those words, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, and it's, it's an individuals joined together and stuff. Like, oh, it would have been so much easier just to have a numbering system. But you know, it works. And um, and all the po- it's not really about the the winning either um the point is the poetry not the points as people famously say mm-hmm. um although says thomason absolutely deserved to win it so <laughs> oh right well yeah i mean i was totally out of it in the sense of just making it and uh, that was quite nice having the judges decide because then it's just like um who yeah um i don't know but yeah that is an amazing poem uh, it was tricky as well because it's like I want to make another one. I I don't know if I'm going to, but I want to make one where you get separate animators to animate the different poems rather than just me. And you pair people up, and so it has more of a kind of competitive edge, I guess. 
but it was weird because I was making it and I was like it's like when you're a parent and you've got kids and you don't want to favor a kid so you're like <laughs> oh I've spent a lot of time on this poem oh I need to add a few more flourishes on this one because this one's looking a bit better and this oh god and then and then there's one poem in it which is obviously the worst animation and then people are like oh that was my favorite and you're like oh okay I guess they're all good that's good Phew. <laughs> you know? I was going to say, because um, often people, I know, Hannah, we've had conversations before about sort of getting friends to illustrate your poetry and sort of finding mm. people can take it a bit literally and, yeah. and or, you know, not not quite get it right. Do you have any advice, Adelia, for like if people are looking to sort of illustrate poetry, is, is there any advice you'd offer on what to pick up on and yeah, mm. how to how to do that effectively? Um. Yeah, I guess so. But so what what's your experience, Hannah? Is it that people uh when you oh. say literal, is it like you're yeah. talking about a teapot and someone's drawn a teapot and it's like I'm... this wasn't a teapot, this was about the destruction of mankind. Yeah. Yeah, I have one example where God, years and years and years ago, um I had a poem about sort of a friendship going south and there was a line of from smiles to snarls and they just like illustrated it with this line of mouths <laughs> like this kind of like a very very wide happy one and then an increasingly like teeth bared one but like 20 20 little mouths and yeah it just it was just so distracting it wasn't it, the 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 that one line being picked out with like here's lots of mouths i know how to draw this bit um then put a weird emphasis i think on that line which i wouldn't have yeah yeah totally okay yeah so yeah, I think the really important thing with that is communication, <laughs> obviously. But um, yeah, there's the more I do, because uh, this is the thing. So I've been doing like these, I did the animation slam where I just animated people's poems and there wasn't much input from them and there wasn't much time. It was just like, I just made it quickly. And then now I've been doing projects. I did a music video recently and I've animated poems. And then other, I'm doing this project with like neurodiversity and all these interactive things, all these different things. And the more I'm learning, the more it's like, you need to nail expect. Okay, so <laughs> firstly, you need to research the artist and make sure you get someone who, um, whose stuff you connect with really well. Mm. Like a lot of the time, and I've made this mistake hiring artists as well, you get someone and you think, oh, this person's quite good. Maybe they can do this style that I want them to do that I haven't seen on their website. <laughs> but there's a general rule with art and animation that you won't get paid to do something you've not done before. So, like, as an animator, if I want to do an Adventure Time-style cartoon, I kind of need to make my own Adventure Time-style cartoon, first of all, put it on my website so people can see it. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like, if you expect someone who you've not seen do that, to do that, they're not necessarily... It's like a bad idea. Because yeah. um, you might think artists can do anything, but actually most artists have got a very clear style. And even if they try and do something like that, it's always going to have elements of their style. Hmm. So it's much better to find the person who just, you know, you look at their imagery and go, oh, I connect with so much of this stuff. And then, uh, and then like with animation, especially because it takes so long, just I'm just adding more and more time to the planning stages and prioritizing those. I used to be like, I'll just spend a day storyboarding and then send it to the client and then, if they're happy with it, go on and do most of it. Whereas mm. now I'm much more like, okay, I'm going to talk through the idea with the client and then I'm going to storyboard roughly. 
mm-hmm. send like an animated version just with the storyboard and then if they're on board it's like cool and then I'll do the same but with the artwork drawn in much more detailing and then they might be like oh that's what are you doing why are there all these mouths (laughs) and then really nailing that before you go into the detail like I mean if you were just an illustrator doing like a a drawing it might take three days to do that drawing so you want to get everything confirmed the color scheme palette all that kind of stuff like Mm. I mean different people work different ways we want to get it like nailed Mm. early on so that everyone's on board and happy Um, and also some people will trust you more so some people will just be like, I love what you do. Go for it. I, I trust it will be good. Mm-hmm. And then, which is good, but also might, they might turn around afterwards <laughs> oh, yeah. and go, I did not, I should not have trusted you. <laughs> Destroyed my baby. So it's managing expectations and avoiding duplication of work. It sounds like something I would say in my, in my day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very technical. That's the thing with mm. animation that I love. It's like a, it's a total combining of creativity and technical stuff hmm. it's like i mean i'm just i don't you wouldn't know if you didn't do it i guess but i'm just making lists constant lists of things i'm going to make this 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 all the background here the background this is going to take three frames of animation this bit's going to take five frames hmm. then i'm going to have this character here and that's going to move over here and then i'm doing test runs and all sorts of so it's hmm. a very technical process but then it's also a creative thing so yeah hmm. like poetry <laughs> yeah i think like because you've got to know the technical side. Is much more, I mean, everyone does it differently, but for me, my poetry is much more of an instinctive process. Um, although I love form and stuff, but yeah, everything just comes from a feeling. Um, which is similar with animation, but I guess, yeah, I like feelings, but it's more like, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot more technical thinking in my animation process, I guess. Anything else we want to ask Adelia before we wrap up? Or? Um, I guess I wanted to ask because I've always, I've I've always known you as not based in London, but in London semi regularly. <laughs> People outside of London seem much more prepared to put the work in to go visit other shows. Sort of how much you know, back in the future times when we can move around again, how how far is a reasonable reasonable to travel to uh, as an audience for a gig? Should we be more prepared to? get our butts outside or a digital space is sort of changing what changing some of those limits um yeah i think london people should definitely be prepared to move outside of london to go to gigs <laughs> um i always found it a bit annoying i don't know like i mean london's such a big place you know you can, mm. can take you two hours to get across it or three hours or four it can take a long time to get anywhere yeah but it's a sort of weird given that you just do that but um so i used to live in london and then i moved to swindon and which is where I'm from originally. And um, yeah, it was really interesting because actually it's it's weird how you think about space. Like in London, it might take, I used to live in Crystal Palace and it might take me two hours, maybe three hours to get into London yeah. on the bus, and like central London. Hmm. And that's just what you do. That's just how it is. And then when I was in Swindon, I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> I can get to uh, Wales in two hours on the train. <laughs> so with that same mindset of this is how long this takes yeah i was like oh i can just i can but it's because when you live in london it's just it's it's just your mindset but i was like keen to keep that london mindset of this is how long i'm prepared to travel and go elsewhere yeah um mm. yeah and there are loads of cool things around i just i think it's frustrating when um i guess you go to london to loads of gigs and then you're like oh here's a thing happening here and people are like 
Nip. It's like in Stratford, hmm. so I don't think I can get to it. <laughs> You're like, oh, whatever. I mean, there probably is something to be said for the cost of trains outside of London versus the cost of the tube, etc. Sure, like, but still. Bus. Like, yes, no, absolutely. Still, the time and distances, yeah. It's um, funny how we you... think of it differently, yeah. Yeah. Now that everything is online, I feel like we're able to see much more of what there is. I feel like being able to see other people's stuff online makes it much more tempting to then go, you know what you know what you could be seeing you know what you could be uh experiencing totally i've felt that for a while i've always wanted stuff to be more online um and i, I know like the, in the theater world there's always been a lot of like oh we don't want to put things online because then people won't come to the actual theaters mm-hmm. you know but i always look at comedy where people have all their stand-up shows and they have a video version a dvd version or they um, have a Netflix special or something. Mm. People watch that in their droves, and then I think I don't know, but I think the stats are that people are then mm. more likely to watch comedy right. in their local place because they've seen that and they've got a good idea of it. And I feel like the same would be the case of theatre. You know, people are people are loving the national theatres online stuff, and I'm sure that when theatres open, they're now more likely to want to go to a, a theatre show. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not clear cut. There's it's mm. a, oh, there's all sorts to it, but I mean, the same with poetry. I just feel like um the more stuff you could get yeah online the better yeah i saw something the other day so some like some online conference about poetry coming up and one of the um it was an invite to like talk on the subject of like this was like an open public thing of how does poetry like come back from the pandemic how do we rebound into live events and i was like i'm not worried about it because poetry has always been there's no money in it people do it for what because for the love of it they <laughs> yeah. get whatever space they can get the cafe the cupboard under the stairs the like house party the like little bit of the park they get a mic if they can find one and they do it like mm-hmm. uh, all you need is a space and an audience that's that's it it's never been for better or worse the kind of thing that has infrastructure like comedy or like theater where people's jobs are disrupted by the pandemic in the same way i think because so much of it is diy not to say that nobody's yeah. been affected by the pandemic that's that, that's not what i mean to say at all <laughs> but also i don't know what you people feel it's like um i feel like poetry's actually like grown in the pandemic like mm. There was like suddenly there were I, I haven't been doing it as much recently so I don't know if there's if everyone's not been doing it as much recently or if, how it's going but like suddenly there were loads of slams all over the world that everyone was going to people yeah. there was the one in New Zealand yeah everyone was doing that one on a Sunday and then yeah there were, so all at your over place, the place yeah. yeah people just doing all of these like things and if anything I'd ask how are you gonna Come bring back. poets back into physical spaces yeah. since they're so loving the online world but I mean I know loads of people prefer the physical spaces so I mean. I think the exciting thing, which I really hope happens, is that I want the live gigs to keep the online presence. Mm. So people can, it's just become mm. normal that, oh, we're doing a gig, we've got a camera, and people can watch online. There's a Zoom going on, someone curating that maybe if, you, if, if it's a more high end one, you know? Mm. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Um, brilliant. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Uh, Adelia, is there anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, well, I don't have loads of specific things, but I'll say um, I've got my shows on gumroad.com, 
www.gumroad.com slash Adelia Day. And yeah, there are my shows and my books, Super Hamlet 64, Too Pretty to Punch. And they're online. There are um, audio described, captioned versions of them all. Mm-hmm. So it's all very accessible. Um, and absolutely worth seeing like the animation is completely beautiful like there are so many moments like laurie was saying where you kind of i was just reduced to sort of childish joy like (laughs) woo, yeah (laughs) childlike joy or childish joy both i'm gonna go with both (laughs) depending on the part of the plan i guess but so so also actually i'm just such a whirlwind of things last year well honestly i've been doing loads of animated projects loads of poetry films um, stuff where I'm performing poetry and then I've animated over the top. There's loads of that kind of stuff. You can find that all on my website, which is adeliaday.co.uk. And you know, just on the homepage, there's just a list of all the things. And you can just click on them and go, oh, that looks interesting. You can check stuff out. So. Brilliant. And we'll pop those links in the show notes and on our social media as well. Thanks. So brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Now it's time for our book of the month. What Girls Do in the Dark by Rosie Garland. It was chosen by Hannah. So Hannah, why did you choose this book? Well, um, this is a book where the first poem alone uh, made me start wanting to recommend it to people left, right and centre. Um, I loved the first poem, actually. like That is an absolute banger to start with. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so good. It's The first one is called Letter of Rejection from a Black Hole. Um, and it's uh, oh, I'm going to read the first couple of lines because I can't. Work. I think it's quicker than trying to describe it. Um, and it, it begins with, uh, "We're touched by your desire to join our great work of dismembering the fabric of time and matter. We can't blame you for wanting to hide in nothing, and note the ways you've snapped off pieces of yourself to prove you're serious." And it's it's got throughout a a theme of. Uh, space and comets and stars and intergalactic things and I um, this might sound weird but I I get freaked out when I think about outer space (laughs) it breaks my brain I generally don't like it Um, and the fact that there is this whole collection themed around it in ways which seem beautiful and profound and not just I'm nothing everything I know is nothing we are nothing ah um is uh i i space is cool man i i was uh once cheated on by a space scientist who then went to work for nasa and that's not why i don't like space um but um, i think that's a very specific reason <laughs> that, is, that is a lot to take that out on all of creation you know all yeah, of these vast all of vast interstellar before matter. i found out he Galaxies. was a nasty cheating space monkey um because some, somebody put their bits where they shouldn't. <laughs> no, before I found out he was a cheesy piece of shit, um, he took me around the science museum and enthused about various things. And the more he told me, the more it freaked me out. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Took you around the science museum, Shut huh? Up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't know. The fact that um, there are these nar- poetic and gorgeous narratives from these huge you know, planetary bodies, I, I found, while while still using quite a lot of sort of scientific precision, I found it a really interesting mix. Also, I just find the turn of phrase absolutely luscious. It just kind of makes me go, ooh, uh, reading it. And I don't know, I think there were some poems where I thought it was beautifully written, 
in this collection, there were some pieces which I thought were beautifully written and I would have struggled to tell you what it was about. And normally that gets on my tits if I don't know what it's about. Um, but in these ones, I, I, I just love the writing style so much. But I kind of wanted to analyse it with you guys because that's a... Yeah, normally, normally I need to know what's going on. <laughs> I think that's something that the three of us have with poetry um, is this desire to understand mm. it. And I certainly have felt and and still really do feel that a lot of poetry that doesn't that isn't successful is because of a disconnect between between what the poem is about and the words that the poet is writing Mm. um and I think in this one you are right there are some poems in it where I got to the end of it and went that was really gorgeous in its language I didn't quite get it I didn't quite understand what it was getting at Mm, but it didn't annoy me as much as maybe it mm. usually does. So <laughs> right. I think there's something in there. Really. And I don't mean that as a negative on, on Rosie Garland and the book at all. Yeah. I think for me, I can live with not quite getting it. I think, I think I don't expect to understand every image or illusion or every sense. Like I kind of, I can live with that with poetry that kind of like, yeah, it's all right. It's not either. It's not for me or I just missed that. And that's okay. Mm. Sometimes when you do get to the end of it, you go, oh, I've, I've not got a fucking clue. Yeah. I've not got a fucking clue. Um, that I can get a bit impatient with because quite often it's it's the product of obfuscation for the sake mm, of it, sure. uh, which I didn't feel with yeah, this at yeah. all at any point. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, there were no kind of like, this is clever and complicated. So, um, But no, I think, I think there were some absolutely beautiful poems in it. And I think something about the kind of because she's brought in the vastness of space and all of eternity and 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 there's a lot about time in this that kind of you know it when you take into account the age of the cosmos and the age of planets and how long mm. they've been you know how long Halley's comet has been going round you know our solar system or how long such and such has been happening our lives are kind of a brief yeah. flicker in that mm. it sort of means that she can go to any moment in human history and focus on it so there's one point where she's doing kind of you know the venerable beads uh, history of, Eng- of of the mm. english sort of out of nowhere and you're like yeah well that is a thing that happens in all of time and space <laughs> so yes why not the why not the medieval period um and it, you know and of course and and you know obviously he's kind of you know writing for posterity and then you get into thinking well what is posterity in terms of in terms of humans because and this is again, where it normally freaks me know, out we've got all these really <laughs> old you know planets yeah um so like yeah so kind of that you can tie in sort of you know the bead um there's one about foxes playing you know you can t- you can include these really little precious fleeting mm. moments because you've established that well everything is a little fleeting moment in the vastness of of, of everything um it's yeah, yeah it's very clever i thought laurie what did you reckon yeah i think i come down i come down in the in the camp of i liked this book i i wasn't like oh my god this is my favorite collection i've ever read i think and i think that's probably partly because of what you just what we just touched on mm. hannah of sometimes i felt like these are really beautiful but i'm not getting that second or third kind of layer mm. to it i'm not it's not that it's not there it's that i'm not quite getting it um and I think that is one reason that that stopped me from loving it. Also, I am 
really done. And the, the book doesn't do this a lot, but there's one poem in it that is a very graphic description of a dissection of a crow. And I am really done with poems that dissect animals like that I don't really see the next level of that are just kind of gross and icky. And I've, I've heard that a lot at the, at the open mic, that, that type of poem over the years. I'm just kind of That's done with them. It's a very weird niche. I mean, it's like we were joking about the dead yeah, cat poem I didn't really last time. It was it's a... like, there are, there are very unexpected things that people coalesce around <laughs> that you're like, oh, okay. People do that though. Like you go, like I've seen at least, I don't know how many, but I've, enough that I'm like, really like, oh man. And it's not Rosie Garland's fault at all. I'm just like, oh boy, I've, I've hit a breaking point with these dissection poems. <laughs> I just don't think I can do any more of them. I don't need them in my life. But that's not Rosie's fault. Um, but there's some really lovely stuff in here. The um, poem about eczema. As someone who has eczema, boy, it, it really nails what that's like. Yeah. Um, it sucks. <laughs> and that- it's very painful and doesn't, it's not an obvious thing to people who don't have it. <laughs> That one, actually, because I also read um, Rosie Garland's novel, uh, I think it was called The Cabinet of Curiosities, um, which is about a kind of a, a, a woman who has fur all over and like is, is, uh, is, is put in circle sideshows as the lion-faced woman. Um, and between the eczema poem and I feel like the eczema poem was my little like key to like how and where Rosie came up with that as a as a theme in her novel, and also okay. uh, what girls do in the dark the the title poem which has a kind of almost Angela Carter like girls turning into some kind of wild animal and sneaking out at night. Um, I found that a really interesting theme. Like yeah, reading enough of one author's stuff that you start to like see where this image came from originally and and what what this personal experience has grown into in metaphor i thought that was a fun little easter egg if you read enough of her Mm. yeah because that's almost kind of the second thread in the book isn't it it's kind of you've got this sort of space imagery but then also kind of lots of sort of women turning Mm. into things women running away or escaping or walking Mm -hmm. into the dark um and yeah some really cool images there in different poems that kind of comes up again and again and a bit more broadly just kind of resistance in women Mm. like um, and protest in women um as part of the main themes of the book um i thought when it was doing that it was was at its most successful the um the family stuff was great when that came in the title poem um i really enjoyed Uh, there's a there there are lots of poems in this book that I really, really loved. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good collection. Um, so yeah, anything else we want to say on it? Oh, also just, I want to give a special shout out to um, very early in the book, uh, Yorkshire Lights, which is um, apparently you can see Aurora mm. mm. Borealis down into Yorkshire, but the colour has kind of changed to a brownish, rusty colour. So this was kind of, yeah, just the way that threaded in with kind of Yorkshire's industrial history and landscape i just thought when Mm. when she really hits her mark like the the levels of things she manages to fold in and make familiar and also kind of profound and of of no particular time you know sort of just just 
I don't know, make, make things folklore sounding. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought that was another just like absolute banger of a poem, like really no no spare meat on it anywhere. Yeah. No fat on it anywhere. That's what I mean. Cool. Brilliant. Um, so that's What Girls Do in the Dark by Rosie Garland, and that's available on Nine Arches Press. <laughs> Now it's time for the notice board where we spotlight 10 ish opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit your work for publication. And also, we tell you about stuff that we just think is cool. Rebecca? Uh, so, first up, uh, Verve Poetry Press in uh, Birmingham will open in March for full collections to be published in 2022 23. Uh, for more information on that, visit www.vervepoetrypress.com forward slash submissions dash will open. Um, by the time you hear this, they probably will be open. So just post the Verve Poetry Press website. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure you can find it. Open says that. <laughs> yep. Um, and then the other thing is uh, Hammer and Tongue Cambridge is on the 5th of March. Elizabeth McGowan uh, is going to be featuring, who I feel like I feel like we've mentioned a lot. We mention almost yeah. every minute of every podcast. <laughs> she is excellent. And there's going to be uh, a slam, which is always really good as well. Hannah, what have you got? So um, I spotted that... Um, Reading's Amnesty International Group um, is putting together a uh, competition about human rights. So they want poems about human rights. If you go to their website, they've got um, they tell you what human what specific human rights, international human rights there are, and you can write poems about them. Um, they've got a 16, 17 year olds category and an 18 plus category. Um, so if you go to poetryforsocialjustice.co.uk um it's free to enter but obviously donations are extremely welcome for amnesty international um and it's going to be judged by a mix of literary academics published poets and human rights activists so that looked pretty cool and that's open till the 23rd of april um there is a poetry pamphlet competition which is open for ages but i spotted it this month so i'm telling you about it and it's called a slim volume of one's own um and so a entries of up to 20 poems but each poem apparently has to be a maximum of 40 lines which i think is a stupid rule that people should not have um but anyway uh entries of up to 20 poems uh can be submitted and then the winners will get their poems published in a collection and i have i think it was like 100 free copies which isn't to be sniffed at um it is a 25 pound entry fee so it's a bit of a gamble but if you're feel like you're ready for publication it's not a bad way to go about it and you can find out all about that at uh, hedgehogpress.co.uk and also the plow prize is an international poetry competition um run from north devon but entries uh, welcome for anywhere uh, welcome from anywhere um and i spotted this because it's judged by roger mcguff and top prize is a thousand pounds which again not to be sniffed at that's pretty good and you can find out more about that at uh theplowartscenter.org.uk forward slash poetry hyphen prize laurie what have you got for us so hecate magazine are open for submissions for both their digital magazine and their online journal space you can submit your poems prose and personal essays and they prioritize works which are rich in myth magic and mystique Woo. Um, submissions are always open 
and published on a bi-monthly basis. Um, at the moment, their deadline is 31st of March, but since the submissions are always open, I guess you can just submit whenever you like. Um, so that's my first one. And that's at hecate-magazine.com. And that's spelled H-E-C-A-T-E hyphen magazine. You know how to spell that, <laughs> dot com. Next up, LQW. London Queer Writers are running a writing workshop on writing pop culture Ooh. with Elspeth Wilson on the 11th of March. It's pay what you feel, but you need to book in advance. And in the workshop, you'll be looking at nostalgia, memory, and how we can write about pop culture in a way that lets us find our own voice. I'm not entirely sure, actually, what time that workshop is on the 11th of March. But if you look for um, LQW Writing Workshop on Google or on Facebook, you should be able to find it. Um, Also, we've not really mentioned this before, but... Uh, I thought it was worth mentioning, if people don't know, um, another really good poetry-based uh, radio show is The Verb on Radio 3 with Ian McMillan. I've been listening back to some of the back episodes from that. Um, it's broadcast every Friday at 10pm, but it's also available in a podcast and all the back episodes are um, up wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's a really cool um a really cool radio show where Ian McMillan speaks with poets, but also people who, who are in publishing. There's a really good episode about poetry publishing specifically um, with lots of journal publishers and uh, book po- publishers that's worth listening to. Um, and also, minor plug, I'm doing a gig this month, guys. Ooh. I haven't done a gig in who knows how long, but I'm going to be doing Burning Eye Presents on the 24th of March, I think I can say that now, um, mm-hmm. along with Agnes Torok and Jonathan Kinsman. And that will be on there. The details for that will be on Burning Eyes social media shortly. Brilliant. In a moment, we're going to have our poetry recording of the month to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? Sure. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet or on Twitter at Mr. Leaves. Uh, Mr. L. Eves, you see what I did there? Uh, my book, Biceps, is out on Burning Eye Books or in brick red cassette form on Buried Vinyl. You can pick up both versions from my website, laurieeves.com. That's L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S.com. You can also stream the audio version wherever you stream audio. Also, just to mention, next this well, this month, I guess, when this podcast comes out, that book will be one year old on the 15th. Oh, so it will. It will Ooh. be. So I am planning to have Happy a reduction on book. the price to celebrate. So, um, yeah, if you go to my website from the 15th of March, there should be a sale on. Excellent. Hannah, how about you? Uh, so I, I am Hannah Hutzpah, and you can find me on all the social media at, uh, under the name Hannah Hutzpah. And Hutzpah is spelt uh, C for Charlie, H for Hotel, Umbrella, Tango, Zebra, Papa, Alpha, Hotel. There we go. Managed it. Uh, and Insight, uh, the night that I host, uh, you can find on Facebook at Insight Poetry. Um and yeah that that is getting better and better all the time go check it out come along uh open mic slots are uh reserved for us queers but uh, respectful allies are extremely welcome in the audience i have two books uh which are available for sale uh one is called permeable 
and one is called Signmeister Talapram. And I need to get a big cartel set up, and I've been meaning to do that for fucking ages. So if I say this, say that on this podcast, if you go to hannahutzba.com forward slash shop, I should have the big cartel set up very soon because it's not that difficult. For fuck's sake, Hannah. Um, also, um, at the at Insight this month, um, a, one person suggested, and it's a very good idea, um, people who also have books out and would like to read each other's stuff, I am well up for a swap if you want to get in touch with me and go, I've got a pamphlet. I'd like to read your pamphlet. Yeah, let's do it. Come on, let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Rebecca K. Cooney and my website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com. Uh, my Instagram is at any name but Becky and you can find me on Facebook as Rebecca Cooney-Poet. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, on Facebook at Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. Our poem of the month was performed by Liv Winter. Um, Before we share Liv's work with you, I just want to say thank you to them for letting us showcase their work. Uh, Thank you to my co-hosts, Hannah and Laurie, to Adelia Day for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and to you for listening. Bye. Bye. Hi. (laughs) I'm Liv Winter, and here's a little poem for you. Father figure, as in, in the place of your father, the space fathers left in double beds after leaving to become martyrs, fathers who left their record collections under stairs, unaware that we would remain there for years after, but they don't think about it, do they? They don't think about causing pain or getting up in your face. And my dad used to say, listen, Liv, you need to learn not to be so loud. So now I've decided not to miss him when he isn't around because being loud is quite a big part of this career path that I have found. So he can be impressed. Yes, but he doesn't get to be proud. When was the last time you called your mother up? And said she kept you grounded or found some strength in the fact that deadbeat dad would now be so astounded at how you learned to draw your own lines because mine. He's going to be so shocked to find me. Prodigal daughter, me, when I'm six foot tall on his television screen with my lover and my sisters and a Turner Prize and a Grammy and a 15 minute thank you speech to a self-selected family like we outgrew you. Starting to feel like we never knew you. You gave me chips on my shoulder, but I carved them into sculptures. And we burned down the dinner table you demanded. We all sit at and instead screamed and clapped until our lungs collapsed. We had beasts on our backs and they were so hard to kill. But through the laughter comes the tears and then those stories start to spill. And aren't they always the same? (laughs) Fucked up Christmases or forgotten birthdays. Disappointment and the weight of bearing someone else's shame. When we are living in the shadows of men who weren't shit anyway. So this one is for my mum. For my mum, who's never read no Freud but could school you on some daddy issues. Who hears my voice start to waver and says I stand proudly with you. Who says I deserve love letters and I'd fit any glass shoe. Well, this one's for you. For my friends. For my friends who stood on the edges of cliffs with me. To the ones that waited patiently in doctor's surgeries, allow us please to redefine our family. Tell me who you turn to, because I'll burn down the house of the man that hurt you. We turn our backs to those who say we should be grateful we were made strong and we were built out of iron scaffold before any of that lot came along. We had to be structures, churches, houses that were hurting and we clean our wounds and darkened rooms and say, don't watch me while I'm learning. 
See, my dad told me to be strong. He said survival of the fittest. He's proper working class British. But he built families on foundations he knew any minute would later be missing. Well, this is my path. This is my house. These are my bricks on my ground. So he can be impressed, but he doesn't get to be proud. Thanks. Uh, thanks for featuring me on your show. Um, if anyone wants to be my friend, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at LiveWinter, L-I-V-W-Y-N-T-E-R. Um, I've got a poetry book out. I don't know where you can buy it, to be honest. Uh, Dog Section Press, I think, probably, uh, is where it's stocked at the moment. Um, and I also have a play coming out. My second play is coming out in August. It's called The Rise of the Refrain. Uh, it's going to feature a punk band and, and me not really knowing what's going on much like the previous play. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.